Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Well, good morning, church. It's great to have you here with us. It's great to be back. Um, My name is Howard. If I haven't met you yet, I hope to get to meet you later on today or in the weeks ahead. It's my privilege to lead really an amazing team here of extraordinary people who serve an amazing God. Um, Today, we're starting a new series, as Andy said already, called Still Knowing. Hopefully, you're already kind of thinking about that kind of play on words and what is that about, still knowing and still knowing. It comes out of Psalm 46, one of the great psalms, one of the great uh, songs, if you like, of the Old Testament that says in verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. That's what we want for the heart of our church over really four weeks. This is an invitation to find rest from the kind of chaos and the stress out there, outside these walls of the church in London that I'm sure you know as well as I do. It's an invitation to be still and know that God is in control, that he's in charge. So we're going to do a four-part series. There's four messages. They're titled Stop, Look, Listen, and Live. That is a kind of spiritual highway code to help us learn how do we not just survive but thrive. So I'm going to introduce the theme then throughout. We've got a number of Bible passages. You can see them up there. You're welcome to turn to Genesis chapter 1 or Exodus 20. My amazing wife's going to read that in a moment. But I just want to set the scene for you first for this series, and particularly for this message, which is called Stop, the Ancient Art of Sabbath. See, personally, I struggle with rest. I'm one of those personality types who's, frankly, addicted to accomplishment. Even my downtime, my so-called relaxed time, has to pass some kind of like usefulness test. There's like a kind of a a sifting of what book am I going to read? It's kind of intense in my restful time, so it's productive. That's the kind of personality I am. The early bird catches the worm. I don't know if that translates to (laughs) non-British familiar kind of speaking people. But it's like, the devil doesn't rest, so why should I take a day off? And I'm like, wow, who am I following? Whose apprentice am I? Am I following Jesus or am I following Satan? Now, for some of you here, I've freaked you out already. The existence of a, an evil being in the universe. Okay, um, I can give a logical, reasonable explanation for his existence. I'd love to talk to you. If that's you and you're here this morning, come find me after the service. We can have a chat. And, and frankly, we can talk about anything. I'd love to talk and pray with you if you've got questions about, about this message. But I struggle with rest. I try and pretend that I'm like a swan. You know, on the outside, I try and kind of look serene and calm, composed, like I've got my life under control. Under the water, however, the legs are going, whoa! And the truth is, inside, I look something like this. It's coming. <laughs> there we go, we got there. 
That's what I look like at my desk. I'm like, ah! And in moments where I'm overwhelmed with life and the pressures kind of intensify, this kind of inner me starts to kind of bubble up and comes out. And I actually say the things that are going on inside my head out loud. And I, I become jumpy and I become grumpy and annoying to be around. And even my wife in those moments, she finds it hard to actually like me. <laughs> and maybe you can identify with this. In fact, I know, I'm not just being rude, I know you can, (laughs) because we all struggle to rest. We all struggle to rest. And even our best efforts often at finding rest make us stressed. Binging on Netflix and DVD box sets, and they're kind of like, oh, I'm all jumpy now, (laughs) this is not not helping, makes you more more distressed. Now, Ofcom recently did a, a survey of British people, people in the UK, and they found out that on average, an adult spends more time looking at their screens, your phones, your TV, your iPad, whatever, than you sleep at night. That's, that's pretty scary. If you think about that, what does that, what does that mean? We're just feeding our appetite for consumerism, for more stuff that we're being advertised to all the time. And it makes you really competitive and comparison. You're like, what's going on? Oh, that person's done that. Oh, they're on holiday over there. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and kind of reflecting, where does your life fit in this wider world of everything that's going on? More than that, though, you stop living in the moment. You're kind of distracted. You ever been in those meetings or at a meal with somebody who's just like on their phone, flicking away, like, hello, I'm here. (laughs) You can talk to me. I'm a real person, not a phone. (laughs) It's so distracted. You just stop being here and now and enjoying reality, present reality. You're just minds set to live somewhere else around you. And then even when you have a kind of desire and say, yeah, I'm going to try hard to rest, that desire can be suffocated by kind of employer taskmasters and their demand for their pound of flesh. Preparing this message, I found out that a third of employees in the United Kingdom experience symptoms of depression and burnout. That's huge. That means right now, I don't want you to look around, but right now, a third of the people in this auditorium are experiencing symptoms of depression and burnout. And in London, it's intensified. They say that the average Londoner works three more weeks a year than people who work outside of London. Now, I reckon that depending on what job you do, that's probably more like five, 10, 20 weeks, depending on different market sectors. It's intensified. There's a huge problem in London that we can't, we can't rest. So now you're thinking, but Sabbath? Yeah, I know we need to stop, but, but Sabbath. Didn't we just do a series, if you've been with us, about freedom and not being under the law and all, all that kind of stuff? Maybe you feel like that about how I did about Sabbath. Isn't it just a legalistic drudgery? I don't really want to do that. Well, if, if that's you, I, I really want to help you get a, a new biblical perspective on Sabbath. I'm going to show you three kind of overlapping perspectives about what Sabbath is. But before we do that, I just want to give credit to three books that have really helped shape my thinking on this topic. The first is Garden City, written by John Mark Comer, an excellent book. The other is Mark Buchanan, The Rest of God, 
Uh, and the third is an amazing book by Abraham Joshua Heschel called The Sabbath. It's actually a Jewish rabbi, and I personally think it has the best cover of a book that I've read in a very long time. Um, so it's just cool to have, <laughs> let alone, but hopefully you actually read it. Um, those are amazing books. I probably did that too fast for you to kind of note them down. They're, they're on the blog, they're on the website, so that you can find out more about them. So the first aspect, the first perspective on Sabbath I want to give you is that it's an invitation to remember. Sabbath is a, is a day of remembering, a day of remembrance. This comes out of the scriptures. It comes out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, the beginning, first giving of the Ten Commandments. And that also then links us and takes us all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 and chapters 2. So my brilliant, amazing wife's going to come up. Holly, let's give her a round of applause. She's going to come up to read the scriptures to us. Rishi introduced me like that at home. Eh? <laughs> so, okay, we're going to start with um, Exodus 28 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then we're going to read from Genesis 1, 31 to 2, verse 3. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Fantastic, thank you. I'll do my best to introduce you like that at home in future. <laughs> um, so Sabbath, it's, it's a day of remembrance. It's, it's an invitation to remember. And this is part of God's creation ordinance. So we're called to this, we're invited to this right at the very start of the Bible, the first words of the Bible. We're invited into this pattern and this way of living before statutes or words on stone, tablets on stone came into existence. It's an invitation to remember. Why do we need to remember? Why does it say, remember the Sabbath? Because we're prone to forget. Sabbath is a different kind of rest to, to sleep. Now, sleep sort of affects us and it kind of forces itself upon you, doesn't it? One of the most challenging moments for me when I, I trained to be a barrister was actually in those early months where you have to sit behind your pupil master in court and courtrooms are way more boring than actually I think the rest of the world knows. They're not like Hollywood. They're very disappointing when you get into them, especially if you're not doing anything there. You're just, you're just watching. There's no kind of Hollywood antics. You can't handle the truth kind of moments. At least there weren't in my career. I don't know if I was doing something wrong. And I have to tell me if I was. Uh, he, he, he's a barrister anyway. Um, so this is very exciting. Uh, after lunch was the killer moment when you're back in court, sat behind your pupil master, meant to be learning your trade, but all you can do is think about, I'm so tired, I can barely keep my eyes open. 
<laughs> oh no, don't let me be seen falling asleep. So my pupil master knew this and he noticed this was a problem for me and he said it's a problem for everybody. Here's my secret, he says. This will help you, Howard. Best piece of advice my pupil master gave me. He said you need to kind of sneak down like that whilst you're sat on the bench and pull up one trouser leg like that. No one will notice. They can't see you. Don't worry. And then he said, with your fingers, pinch as many hairs as you can get and yank them really hard like that. He said, the pain will keep you awake <laughs> in court. <laughs> it's a really helpful tip. I've used it a lot. If I see you doing that now, I know what you're up to. <laughs> um, but Sabbath's very different to sleep. They're both forms of rest, but sleep sort of forces itself on you. You kind of can't, can't do without it in that sense. Physiologically, you have to stop to sleep. But with Sabbath, you need it just as much, but it's more subtle than that. You have to intentionally remember and be deliberate about taking a Sabbath. So what do we need to remember? There are four things I want to draw out of these passages to, to remember as the first point of, of three about Sabbath. The first thing we need to remember is to stop. That was really obvious, wasn't it? I needed to say the obvious thing because we don't do it. No one actually stops. We're so dizzy, we're being busy, we don't stop. But the pattern God gives us, he stops. He completes his work. He finishes his work. He stops. He ceases. It says it three times in those few verses that were read in Genesis. God stops, but not because he needs rest. God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't need it. He stops to create a pattern for us to follow. It's an invitation into a way of living to join God. He's just announced and reflected on his creative work. He said, it is very good. And now he stops to enjoy and to appreciate the goodness of what he has made. And now he's saying, I invite you in to stop and to rest with me and to enjoy creation. Wow. Do you stop to make time to rest? Make time just to reflect. That's the first thing to remember. The second thing to remember is the creative power of God. The first words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. <laughs> not, not, not matter, not, not space, nothing. In the beginning, God. He is the uncaused cause. The, 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 the beginning of all reality comes out of God. You can't look back for some beginning in God. He's always there. He's an eternal being by nature. He's there at the start of everything. And how does everything come out of this awesome being of God? He simply speaks. And the world as we know it comes into existence. That is unbelievable power. Incredible. See, Sabbath is a day of reorientating yourself to see how big, how majestic, how awesome and almighty God is and how small you are. And that's a really good thing. It's not like putting yourself down. That's a really good thing because over the course of kind of six days, and if you don't Sabbath even longer, you start to think of yourself bigger than you actually are. You start to kind of carry the worries of the world on your shoulders. You start to get anxious about things. You've got no control over or ability to affect or, or change. You start to think in ways about yourself as if you are a God or God himself. And it's exhausting. And it's also pretty boring. 
I love the way the writer G.K. Chesterton, he puts it um, in a story about two little boys called Paul and Peter. And they both have this, this wish, very different from each other, but similar. Uh, um, Paul says that he wishes that he could be enormous and gigantic. And Peter says, I want to be minuscule and tiny. They both get their wishes in Chesterton's story. Paul suddenly becomes this, this giant and his head is above the clouds looking over this wall. And he's like, I want to go and see the Himalayas now. And I want to go see Mount Everest and all the great wonders of the world. And he starts marching to them with these huge, gigantic strides across continents to get there. And when he gets there, they're just so small and petty and just worthless. What is this that he's looking at now? He's so bored by it all. He can find nothing to entertain himself. So he lies down and falls asleep. Peter, on the other hand, becomes tiny, minuscule, and his back garden becomes like an Amazonian jungle to explore, a great playground of, of adventure. And his little pet mouse becomes like a dinosaur that he can get on and ride, and oh, there's a butterfly. It's like taming his dragon to kind of fly and explore this world. And the point Chesterton is making is life is so much more enjoyable and exciting when we embrace our smallness. Our smallness. That we're creatures. You are a fearfully, wonderfully made creature by an awesome, almighty creator. You're born into creation. And if you believe on Jesus, you're born again into the creator's family. To be loved forever, purposed in the mind and heart of God before the foundations of this world. You're not an accident. You're chosen, beloved. And as you start to realize who you are in light of who he is, you discover that he's so big that all the obstacles that you think are overwhelming, all the giants you're facing, all the difficulties that you're battling and struggling with outside and even within, that he's way bigger than all of that. And he's way stronger than those burdens you're carrying on your shoulder and you're, you're feeling that are crushing you, you down. He's way stronger than them and you can simply cast all your cares upon him. And there's a transfer of trust. There's a moment of faith as you remember him and what he's like and his power and his glory and his beauty. You start to let go and just trust by faith. This is how God works. I think of Gideon. He's called to fight a battle against huge numbers of opposing forces. And he starts with thousands of men. And God says, you don't need all those men. You've got me. We just take a few off here, we take a few off. Goes down to 300 men going up against thousands. It seems impossible, but no, this is how God works. I just want you to trust me. I think of David, little shepherd boy, going out with just a slingshot, no armor, doesn't want to wear the armor, fighting a giant, Goliath. He's got to trust, it's by faith. He's trusting, not in man or other schemes, he's trusting he trust in God. Sabbath is all about faith. Do we trust God that? We can do more in six days with him than we can in seven without him. Do you trust God that the, the battle belongs to him? Do you trust God with your exams or with your work for a promotion or looking for a partner that you can say, God, I'm trusting you with that. I don't need to, to kind of work on that today. Sabbath is a day to remember the power and the almighty 
glory of God. That's the second thing. Remember to stop. Remember God's power. The third thing is to remember the blessing of God. God blesses the Sabbath day. It's interesting that in the creation story that God blesses three things. Maybe you've noticed this before, maybe you haven't. But on day five, God blesses, what does he bless? He blesses the animal kingdom. On day six, he blesses again. He blesses the human race. And then on day seven, what does he bless? He blesses the Sabbath. That's really interesting. And the the language that surrounds blessing, certainly for days five and six, I think it's there implicitly in day seven, is be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth life and its abundance from all that I have made is what God is saying over this. This is what the, the blessing means. So if you think about that for day seven, what is day seven then? It's a day for kind of multiplication. <laughs> yes, I am saying it's a day for sex. Yes and no. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, you probably weren't expecting me to go down this route. But, but yes, if you're married and you find rest in sex and you should, then you should be doing that with God's blessing on the Lord's day. On the Sabbath day, God created sex. It's not ashamed by it in its right and holy context of marriage. But yes, it is that, but no, it's more than that. That the Sabbath is a, is a life-giving day, a day to, to refill and refuel your life as you enjoy the presence of Almighty God. This is the blessing of God. God is a God who delights to bless. He blesses us with life. Then if you look at what he does for humankind, he blesses the whole humankind with all the raw materials that we need to survive and thrive in life. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, you can see it there plainly. Not once, but seven times, seven times, God says, I give you to humanity. He says, I give you, 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 I give you everything that you need to thrive in life. That's the heart of God. It's part of his opening salvo to reveal what he's like to the human race. God blesses us with life. He blesses us with all the raw materials we need to thrive. And then once you believe upon Jesus Christ, he gives you every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1. Adopted, forgiven, chosen, beloved, lavished with loving wisdom. It's amazing. And then finally, he blesses by giving us a day in the week to stop and to enjoy all of these blessings that he's given us. Sabbath. Remember to stop. Remember the power of God. Remember the blessing of God. And fourth, remember the holiness of God. It says that God blesses this day and he makes it holy. That's really interesting what he makes holy. Many people would think that he'd make space holy. He'd make great cathedrals of architecture. That he'd make St. Paul's holy. That that would be the place. The holy kind of place where you meet with God. But what does God bless and make holy? Time. Wow, that's interesting. God makes time holy. God makes a day holy. Wow. The rabbi Abraham Heschel says that Sabbaths are our great cathedrals where we encounter God. 
And so Sabbath is about slowing down to enjoy holy time with the holy God. And enjoyment of him is our worship of him. And so we should enjoy him in all the ways that God has made to do that. That means, yes, of course, reading your Bible and hearing the voice of God speaking into your heart. It means spending time with him in prayer. But it also means walking along the ten paths and enjoying him in creation. It means stopping to read a great book. It means going to wonderful musicals like Les Miserables or Hamilton. All that kind of stuff. Enjoying all the ways that God has made this world beautiful that draw us back to him. We're to enjoy God. But there's more to this. It says in Exodus chapter 20 that Sabbath was to be a day to the Lord. It's for him. Sabbath is about rest and worship coming together. That we are to intentionally put aside time to put God first in our lives. To recognize his beauty, his holiness. Let me put it by this. I wonder if you've ever noticed that the days of creation are paired. So day one, which is where God creates the kind of light as a kind of concept, if you like, and he, he creates night and day, is paired then with day four, where God creates the light bearers, the sun and the moon and the stars. He's forming here and he's filling here. On day two, he creates um, the, the seas and the skies. He's forming that, and then he's filling them on day five with fish and birds in the air. On day three, God is creating dry land and plants for vegetation. He's forming that, and then on day six, he's filling that with, with, with animals and humans and giving plants for food. They're all paired, but what about day seven? To whom or what is day seven paired? That's deliberately meant to be a question that should jump out of us if we were Hebrews reading these scriptures. The Jewish thought was that God had made day seven for his people. They were to be paired with him. Just as Eve was made as Adam's helpmate. This is extraordinary thinking if you understand it and can follow the chain of thought that the people of God, the new redeemed people of God through Jesus Christ are his bride, his radiant bride presented because of the cross, cleansed from all of our sin, all of our detritus, all of our wrongdoing, all of that stuff is taken away from us through God's sacrifice for us at the cross so that we, a bride, can be presented to Jesus, the bridegroom, without spot, without blemish, without fault, a beautiful bride, a mate in some senses for God. The church is bride, the bridegroom. Sabbath, if you like, it's a, a foreshadowing, a kind of little trailer of the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's a day of celebration, it's a day of intimacy and union and connection and restored fellowship with God to remember, oh, he is holy, we are unholy, but we are brought into his holy presence through the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. This is astounding and this is a, a wedding feast. This isn't a day of drudgery and of like, oh, I can't do this. This is a day of, of joy and celebration like every wedding should be with the God whose first miracle as he walked the earth was to turn water into top-notch wine at a wedding, to reveal his heart. It's 
Lord, help us to remember the holiness of God. A day of remembering. That's the first main point. The second is that Sabbath is a day of resistance. It's encouragement to say no, to join Princess Leah's kind of rebel resistance against the tyranny of the consumerist empire (laughs) and all of that. It's saying, no, enough, enough. Um, And to help us to to see that, we're going to have another reading. And as Holly comes up to read in a moment from Deuteronomy chapter 5, I want you to look for the difference between Exodus chapter 20. This is when the, the Ten Commandments are given for the first time, right at the start of Moses' ministry. But they're then given again right at the end of his ministry, just before the people are going into the promised land. And there's some difference there in emphasis. So let's welcome Holly back up. Deuteronomy chapter 5. So this is Deuteronomy 5, um, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor your ox nor your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded that you observe the Sabbath day. Brilliant. Did you, did you notice the difference? Did you pick up on it? It's really interesting, I think. The first time that this commandment is given, it's about remembering God in creation. Now, the second time, Deuteronomy 5, it's about remembering that you're no longer slaves. You weren't no longer slaves. You've been rescued out of Egypt. John Mark Comer, in his book, says at the beginning at Mount Sinai, when these commandments are first given, it's saying, saying yes to God and his world. Now, it's saying no to Egypt and its system. The Hebrew people in Egypt were slaves. They worked seven days a week. They literally made bricks without straw. It was exhausting. They were flogged to kind of make these vast pyramids and other structures and sphincters and all that kind of stuff was off the backs of their hard labor. They weren't people anymore. They were property. They were just cogged in the Egyptian economic system. They were machines forced to do more, do more, work harder. And this spirit of Pharaoh is still alive and well today, demanding his pound of flesh from every one of us. Say more, you must produce more, you must do more. Do more for others, do more for yourself, do more for God. You must desire more. You need more, more stuff, more this, more that. It's it's out there, it's all the time going on. There's there's demands for for, for more that are being put upon us that are frankly exhausting. We walk around now with our offices in our pockets. Never able to kind of power down or turn off. People take their work to their home They take it on holiday, (laughs) check the work emails, what's going on. Workaholism is is so rampant. And in this desire for for more, we we just stop. 
reflecting and remembering and appreciating. Sabbath is a day of resistance where you say, no. Where you put boundaries in place and you hold to them. It's a day where you say, enough. I've had, no, no, enough. I don't need any more. I don't need to, to be any more. I already have more than I could have ever dreamed. I have God. I'm in a relationship with him. I have more than I need in Jesus Christ. I have everything I could ever ever hope for. And I'm taking a day to just rest and rejoice in the, the more that I am in him. It's about saying enough. Enough. I'm saying that, yes, we need to work hard in our jobs. But promotion comes from the Lord. I'm not saying renounce work. I'm not trying to encourage laziness. But we need some independence from work. Especially in a city like London. So it doesn't control us anymore. A day of remembering, a day of resistance. And finally, a day of restoration. This is made clear through uh, an account written by Mark who records uh, Peter, who's a very close friend of Jesus' eyewitness testimony, and it comes from chapter 2 of his gospel, and Holly's going to read that to us now. This is Mark 2, 23 to 3, 5. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn, The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathur, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked round them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Sabbath is a day where you get what you need. And the Pharisees, this kind of obsessive, legalistic, rule-keeping sect back in Jesus' time. They totally misunderstood the meaning of Sabbath. So Jesus comes here to model and to teach them a different way, the original way. And he says, the Sabbath was made for man. And you really need to let that soak in. The Sabbath was made for you. Wow. That means that Sabbath is a gift. That it's there to to help, to strengthen, to to, to be a blessing to, to humankind. That's how God gave it. This gift, though, remains unwrapped for most of us. But the moment that you start to unwrap this amazing gift, 
you discover that the Sabbath is a day of restoration. The Sabbath is a day where withered hands and shriveled lives get restored. Did you notice what Jesus said to uh, the man with the, the shriveled hand? He says to him, stretch out your hand. That is impossible for someone with a shriveled hand to do. Be like, I can't do that, yet I can stand up, but I can't stretch out my hand. But in Jesus' kind of command and his invitation to do this is the enabling power by faith. Jesus, God, is saying that I can do this, so I'm going to stretch it out. And the moment that he acts on that by faith, his hand is healed and he is restored. It's a picture of what Sabbath is. I'm looking around the room and some of you are looking like you're a bit shriveled up and withered. (laughs) I'm trying to not look at anyone in particular so you don't feel singled out, but the truth is we're like that on the inside. After six days being out working hard and if you don't Sabbath even longer, you start to become shriveled and withered by all the pressures of the world out there, by your own sin, by the sins of others, and you start to feel like some kind of contorted, sort of twisted figure inside. And it's horrible. You feel sick. Sabbath is a day where for 24 hours you stretch out your life again (laughs) in the presence of God. You respond to his invitation. And you find restoration. How? Through Jesus, who became withered, willingly at the cross, disfigured, shriveled up, really, and ultimately to the point of death, so that he could cleanse and restore you from all of your sin and all of the effects of sin upon you. Sabbath is just a day to be restored. Like this image to let the kind of hot, blazing fire of God's love burn in you again and afresh so that you will rise and fly for the rest of your week. It's an amazing opportunity. How do you do it, though? Sounds great, doesn't it? How do you do it? How do you stop? Well, my wife and I, we've been putting this into practice in our own life. I think it's as an art, not a science. You kind of kind of grow into this and you you develop it as you go. Um, We take a Sabbath on a Friday evening, and that's because I I work Sundays. It doesn't think it really matters what day you do, and sometimes you might need to change the day throughout the week, but you find a way to make it work for yourself. So we start Friday evenings, we have a meal with our kids. Before that, we kind of have almost like the preparation day to get ready, get some chores we don't want to do out of the way. May not get all the chores done, still have to load the dishwasher and stuff like that. Um, But you get most of that done out of the way so that you're kind of freer than you would normally be for 24 hours. And we'll start with this meal, we'll light a candle. Because in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And Jesus is the light of the world. And we want to come around at a candle as a family and say, Lord, we want you to be the light in our world and in our hearts. And we'll pray. Very simple like that. I will turn off my Wi-Fi 
uh, and my 4G on my mobile phone, so I won't be tempted by any of that distraction. I'm still kind of contactable in an emergency by those old-fashioned methods of text message <laughs> and stuff like that. But I want to be di- distinct on this day in some way. And then we'll just try and find what can we do that is fun, that's enjoyable, where we connect with God and we honor him as a family. Our Saturday morning routine kind of continues. So um, we get up with the kids and I'll make them pancakes. Holly will go out for a run. She'll listen to a sermon uh, and then she'll come back with a few pastries she's picked up on the way. We're a bit of a greedy family. We'll have a second breakfast together uh, as we then do a little Bible study around this table. uh, And we enjoy God in that way together. Then we'll go off and do fun. Like We might go to do a walk and go to a museum or something like that together as a family. It's a work in progress. We have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. If we can do it, you can do it. Trust me. It'll be easier for you. (laughs) Okay? It's a work in progress. It evolves. You kind of don't beat yourself up if it's not perfect. It's an art, not a science. And I want to encourage you to start thinking about how could I make this part of my life and my week? To conclude, I I want to read in a moment from... J.R.R. Tolkien uh, from Lord of the Rings. Uh, If you've been around for long enough, you'll know that I'm a bit of a sci-fi geek, and this is where I am drawn. But I think it's a phenomenally helpful quote that really summarizes what Sabbath is all about. And it's a moment where the hobbits, basically, they've gone on this unbelievably perilous journey for the first time, and they've faced death. They've kind of been terrified, and fears, and all sorts of stuff has happened. And they finally get to Rivendell, this kind of elven paradise. And you need to watch the film because I think that is a picture, a little bit of what heaven may just be like (laughs) in Rivendell. And they're there and they find rest and they get to look back on the journey they've been on and they start to look ahead to the journey they're about to go on, knowing that the journey ahead is even more dangerous and exhausting and demanding. But this is what Tolkien writes. For a while, the hobbits continue to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and every word and song. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. That's Sabbath. That's Sabbath. What an invitation God gives us. What a gift to unwrap. The band are going to come up now. But as we draw this message to a close, I'd like us to have a moment just to be still. For you to be still and to know God. To remember who he is and what he's like. This amazing God in creation. This amazing God in salvation. This God who speaks 
matter into existence, this God who dies for love on a cross, to remember him and to think of this invitation, this blessed day he's inviting you into, and to search your heart as you are still before him, and to see if there's anything you need to repent of and turn from, where your trust is not put on him, but is still on you. There's a transfer of trust moment for a number of us today. Say, I'm no longer trusting in myself, in my strength, in my wisdom, in my ability, in my energy, in my work, in my job, my career. No, 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 I'm trusting in him. And I'm resting in him and his awesome, almighty power for goodness. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.